everybody and welcome to the Digital Cathedral. And as we start this morning, I just want to remind you that this is the day that the Lord has made. And we're just going to spend a few minutes together rejoicing in the goodness that he has for us. I think we're going to discover some good things this morning. Hope we stretch your thinking a little bit. And like I say once in a while, we're just going to change the world that you live in. We're going to change your perceptions maybe, change some mindsets, change some way that you've seen things in the past that will create uh, an environment and a life that is extraordinary for you. So let's begin this morning. We're going to finish up on uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12 on coming attractions. This is our fourth week that we've spent on it. And we're, we're just, we got to finish it up this morning because we need to move on. All these 12, I could spend an entire, uh, at least one session, probably a series on all of them. But this morning we're going to finish up on coming attractions, things that the Father is working into the life of the believer uh, that he's going to really expand on and expound this year as we enter through all of the months, right? Now, let me just say again that uh, these things I'm going to mention, they're not new areas to you probably. You've heard the topics, you've heard the things, but the Father is going to is going to take us deeper. He's going to he's going to expand on it. He's going to reveal more than what we have seen in the past. So I want to I want to begin today over in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I gave you last Sunday I said look at this this passage of scripture from Matthew 13 verses 18 through 23. It's the parable of the seed and the sower. And let, let me just hit a couple of things before I get into what I want to teach this morning just to put some foundation down and get you thinking in the direction I want to go today. Fair enough? All right, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation all morning just for giggles. I've never done that at the Digital Cathedral, but the Passion Translation is, is a powerful translation. If you've never read it, uh, you might go over to Amazon and just buy an inexpensive hard copy, but it carries a lot of good truth with it and brings some um, light and illumination maybe on some in some slants that you hadn't hadn't considered before if you're a new king james version guy like i normally am but uh i have i don't know how many translations i've got and there are a lot of times i'll take a passage and set out six or seven <laughs> translations and read them all and make a couple of notes on each translation because they all throw some light the uh, the amplified is good to amplify the verse and oftentimes will uh, help you to see some things that are there um, not in plain sight, but just covered up a little bit. And of course, my friend Francois Dutoy and the Mirror Bible, I think is probably the premier uh, New Testament uh, paraphrase that you can find anywhere. It's, it's really good. And his notes in, the, in his Bible are extraordinary. Anyway, let me get into the Passion Translation. Let's get into some things today. This is the parable, the uh, seed and the sower, remember? All right, so he says this, starting with Matthew Chapter 13, verse 18. If you have your Bible, follow along with me this morning. We're going to look at any number of scriptures. Uh, if you have a Passion Translation, so much the better. But even if you have a different one, you're going to see it and uh, understand what we're saying. All right, starts out like this. Jesus says this. He says, now you're ready to listen to the revelation of the parable of the sower and the seeds. So we're talking about sower and seeds, or we're talking about... Um, the, the, the proclaimer of the word. The seed is the word. Now, a parable, if you've never had a good definition of a parable, let me explain what a parable is. A parable is a story that is taken from natural life, everyday life, everyday living, and it carries spiritual implication. So he, Jesus is going to give us a story out of the natural that enables us to see some spiritual truth. So Jesus says, now you're ready to listen to the revelation. So it's a, this is a revelation of the parable of the sower and the seed. Now he's going to tell us about four types of soil that the seed or that the word goes into. Or it's not soil he's talking about here, it's your heart. So there's four types of hearts that the, that the word enters into or seed that goes into the ground. So he's using the illustration of seed going into the ground to uh, expand on the word going into the hearts of people. So number one is this. He said, the seed that fell on the beaten path represents the heart of the one who hears the message of the kingdom but doesn't understand it. The adversary then comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. Now, why doesn't he understand it? 
It's because he hasn't taken any time to think about it, to contemplate, to meditate it. The things of the kingdom are not that, are not that difficult to grasp, at least on whatever level you're walking on. You can, you can grab on to, to things of the kingdom on a level that you're living. But when we don't take time to contemplate it, we don't really understand it. We, we feel like it just you know, goes over our head or I, I, I don't get it. Okay, when that happens then, he says the adversary comes and snatches away the seed that was sown or what was sown into his heart. So it's of no value, right? It absolutely has no value. All right, second type, the seed sown in gravel represents the person who gladly hears the kingdom message. Oh, he loves it, man. He says, this is, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. I'm so, oh, I'm so glad that I encountered that. Thank you for teaching me this. But his experience remains shallow. His experience remains shallow. Shortly after he hears it, troubles and persecution come because of the kingdom message he received. Then he quickly falls away for the truth did not sink deeply into his heart. So what happens? You've, we've all seen all four of these types, at least three of them, you probably witnessed many, many, many times in your life. So in this particular one, somebody is so anxious and so excited about it, but... Uh, it, they don't really they don't really grab onto it. It remains shallow in experience. And so they they hear the good news about grace. Okay? They for example, they hear the good news about grace, but all of a sudden they fall back into uh, a, a problem that they've maybe suffered with or had problems with all of their life. And so that pushes against this message of grace and it overwhelms them and they just give up on it. Or they hear a message on uh, that God wants to prosper us, the abundant life, and immediately they suffer lack and need, and so they, they give up on it, or they hear a message on, on healing, and they get sick, right? That's what he's talking about here, and the second, second uh, seed going into the ground, or word going into the heart, troubles and persecution come because of, or it pushes against, it, it, it resists the word that has been re received, and he quickly falls away because the truth didn't sink deeply into his heart. Again, you have to let these things sink in. I'm big about telling you to crockpot this stuff. Don't microwave it. Don't just rush off and think you have a handle on everything that you hear, every revelation that comes to you. Let that stuff crockpot. Let it cook deeply until it takes root in your life. Then when stuff pushes against you, you're not going to walk away from it. All right, number three. The seed that is sown among weeds represents the person that hears the message, but all of life's busy distractions, the divided heart, his ambition for wealth, they result in suffocating. There's no, there's no life, there's no breath that comes into it. It suffocates the kingdom message and prevents him from bearing spiritual fruit. Number four, as for the seed that fell upon good rich soil, it resents the hearts of people who hear and fully embrace the message of heaven's kingdom realm, their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. Notice that it's, it's multiplied. It isn't added. Multiplication always stacks up faster than addition. Notice what he says. They fully embrace the message of heaven's kingdom, and their lives bear good fruit, and yield a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's not addition. That's multiplication. Now this parable, I, I love parables. Parables are powerful. I wish I could teach in parables. The power of a parable is that it enables the hearer to hear the word that's coming to him and respond to it at the level of spirit understanding that he's carrying at that particular time. That, that's why Jesus taught in parables because he was teaching the people that had all from, from zero understanding to those maybe like the Apostle John that had a little bit more depth, a little bit more maturity that could grab onto it a little deeper. But the power of a parable, not only does it allow us to hear at the level of our spiritual understanding, but it also provides an opportunity if you'll contemplate it, if you'll meditate on it, if you'll roll it over and think about it, it gives us opportunity to get a deeper revelation and to see more and to mature more in the sonship journey that you and I are on. So the parable is a powerful way to teach, and Jesus lays out some great stuff here. This parable, as I said, is about the ground or the heart. This parable is not about the seed or the word that comes to us. We, the, the, there's nothing wrong with the seed. You and I have an incorruptible seed that has been 
planted within us. An incorruptible seed means there's no decay. Uh, it's immortal. It's the, it's the highest quality seed. It's the hybrid of hybrids. If you have any background in farming, you know that if you plant a hybrid corn seed, it's going to yield more bushels per acre than an, a, a seed that's not hybrid. So this incorruptible seed, this incorruptible word that's been planted into our hearts, into the ground, into our hearts, it's incorruptible. In fact, Paul, uh, Peter says it like this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. I'm going to, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture today, so follow along with me if you want to. And I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation all morning. And just let me give you some assurance on the seed that has been placed into your heart. Verse 23. For through the eternal and living word of God, you have been born again. And the seed that he planted within you can never be destroyed. That's incorruptible. It can never be destroyed. It is permanent. It is immortal. It will always be there. He said, but will grow and live inside of you forever. So there's no corruption in this seed. There's no longevity to this seed. It is an eternal seed. Again, there's no decay. It doesn't erode. It's immortal. It's the highest quality. And it, it will produce. It will continually produce. Now, the question is this. And this is why I think I've been doing these 12. I notice that the seed produces in different levels. Or the, the word produces in different levels in the heart of a believer. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Why is it that some people produce 30 and some 100? Uh, uh, why is it that when the word comes into the heart of a person, it, it can be stolen? There's, there's four or five things that he points out in the parable that happens to the word that comes into the heart of, of a person. Either it's stolen, it's ineffective through trials and tribulations, uh, uh, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. There's a number of things that destroy the word. And yet some, and yet some falls into good ground 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, in this series on coming attractions, the 12 things I'm going through, I'm not concerned so much about, about the depth of uh, tribulations or pushing against the word. That's not what this is really about. This series is about moving you from 30 to 60 to 100. Some of you are producing at 30 fold. Fewer at 60 and fewer yet at 100. I think the key to going from 30 to 60 or 60 to 100 is the depth of these 12 that we're talking about that I am absolutely convinced the Father's going to weave into our hearts deeper and broader and wider than we've ever seen before. The deeper that this goes into us and the more revelation we get from it, the production is automatically going to increase. The spiritual fruit the revelation, the insight, the light in your life, your productivity, your ability to walk in the kingdom without hindrances is going to dramatically increase. So this, this is where we want to hit, all right? And this is what I wanted to get into before I actually get into the teaching. It, do, it doesn't depend on the seed. I want you to understand that the seed is fine. The seed is good. These 12 things are preparing our hearts to receive. They're, they're preparing our hearts to receive on the highest level possible. This unlimited series, this whole unlimited series that I'm in, and we're kind of taking a rabbit trail right now with these four, and I got a couple other, two, three other weeks, I'm going to talk about some other things, but they're all tied into the unlimited life, the quality of, of ground, the ability of our heart to grasp the seed, let it root deep within us and produce fruit varies, and the variation comes in how deep we're able to let these 12 that we're talking about sink into our life. So true kingdom living, this unlimited life, the unlimited supply, knowing that you already have everything you need, everything you'll ever need has already been placed within you, within that incorruptible seed. There's a shift that's going on right now in your life. He's shifting you from, from, from many of you here at the Digital Cathedral where every time the seed goes into your life, everything that he's trying to produce has been taken away from you. He's moving you into, he's shifting you now into verse 23 from verses 19 to 22 where it's taken. He's taking you into verse 23 where it starts to produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. If you're accustomed to not having anything come out of everything that you hear and you just, you've accumulated all this knowledge, all this understanding, but it's not working for you, it's going to start working. 
If it's been working a little bit 30-fold, he's going to move you into 60, 62, 100, right? We're learning how to function. We're learning how to function out of the source that is absolutely unlimited. That's the seed. That's what's been planted. It's unlimited. There's no bound to it. There's, there's no limitation to it. So we, we've been delivered out of this kingdom of darkness, and we've been translated into the kingdom of unlimited of God's dear son. So get ready for it. Just get ready for the shift. Get ready for the change. This is not a forward-looking series. This is a series about what's actually taking place within our life right now. So let me hit 9, 9 10, 11, and 12 this morning. Okay, you understand? You understand what he's doing in your life? He's moving you along from having everything taken to a 30-fold return to a 60 to 100-fold return. So as these 12 come in and take root and grow deeper in our life, and he gives us more revelation on these, and I'll tell you what, these first eight have been good. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm going deeper in all of them. And here's number nine, and this is, this is a big one for a lot of us. This year, this year, we're no longer going to doubt our authentic identity. We're no longer going to doubt our authentic identity. We were created in the image of God. And the likeness is being developed. Let me say it again. You were born in the image of the Father, and in his likeness, you're developing. You're fully one with the Christ, fully one with his, with his crucifixion. You're fully one with his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. His life is your life. His nature is your nature. He, he, he sets you right here, and you're beginning to experience living your life as his life. Isn't that what 1 John 4, 17 says? As he is, so are we in this world, as he presently is, victorious over sin, over death, over, over all uh, adversarial contrary forces. He's victorious over it. Now he is. Pre-cross, pre he was pointing toward the cross to gain victory on these things, but it says as he is, not as he was, as he is. So as his victorious ascended life now is the life that we, we begin to live. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1. While, while you're right there in Peter, just come over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Just a couple of pages to your right. And let me, let me read this for you. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read uh, verses 3 and 4. Fair enough? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, out of the uh, Passion Translation. It says, everything that we could need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us. Man, that is mind-blowing. Th this is where the Father's moving us. This, this revolves around identity. When you understand identity, you understand that everything that you need, everything you ever will need, this incorruptible seed has already planted in you. So do you see why I'm concentrating on the ground and not the seed? Why he's moving is progressively from the person that has the seed stolen because they, they don't contemplate, they don't meditate, they don't uh, assimilate into their life the teaching, the revelation. Everything you could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by his name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given, watch, as a result of this, he has given us magnificent promises, seed, seed, that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, through this seed, the production of the seed, you can experience, watch, you can experience partnership with the divine nature. That's your identity. Divinity is your identity. And if you're thinking you're less than divine, you're underselling yourself. Let me read it again. Through the power of his tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, or you have escaped all of the things that are trying to pull the seed that has been planted within you out of you. You've escaped that. And he's made you a, a partner in the divine nature. So this year, this year, what, what's going to happen this year? You just watch. He's going to move this from being good teaching. Or he's going to move it from just being a revelation that you have to where it's going to be fully ingrained within you. And there's going to be no doubt in you about what your DNA is. 
that your DNA and the, 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 the life source that you walk out daily is absolutely divine, that you have been born from above. Are you ready? This is good. I like this. All right, number 11. Number 11. Or number 10. I'm sorry. Number 10. Number 10. Hell is going to be swallowed up by truth. Hell will be swallowed up by truth. It's time that, that this insidious doctrine be totally annihilated from the Christian scene. It has its basis, basically, in a dualistic view of God. A dualistic God that we were raised with that, yes, he's love, but he's also justice. And his justice was juxtaposed to his love. Yes, he is a God of mercy, but he's also a God of vengeance, right? That's, that's seeing God in two lights. It's a two-faced God. God is not two-faced. He never has been two-faced. And we have not grown. Listen, this is why, why, why people in church have not grown. I pastored people for 20, 25 years, and they had the same problems, the same hang-ups, butted against the same problems year after year after year. And it's because we had this dualistic God that we were always trying to please. And we could never do enough to please him. We were never sure he was totally pleased with us. God is not two-faced. God is not dualistic. The Father and the tree of life are not a tree of dualism. It's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me illustrate for you. See, we've, we've been raised to think there's only two choices. There's only right, wrong, good, evil, left, right, up, down. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm going to have to keep moving with this, all right? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, All things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. That's you. So all things work together for good. There's no good and evil in this. And I, I, I'm going to hit this in just a few minutes, but we have to come to a place where we see that everything that comes from the Father is good. There's no evil from him. There's no bad from him. All things work together for good. That's the plan. God is only good. And one of, one of the things that have held us back is this doggone Augustinian introduced and long-held lie of eternal conscious torment. And it's on the run. It's on the run. When I wrote the book, Hell's Illusion, I, I didn't believe in hell at that time. And I wanted to set out to lay it down logistically, historically, so that people could get it uprooted from their life. Because I, I know that it's a hang-up. That most people have come to Jesus because of fear of what would happen to them if they didn't. If they didn't pray the magic prayer. If they didn't confess that they believed, even though they didn't know what they were confessing to. Right? It didn't take a lot of research to totally unarm this monster that has terrorized millions of people. There are millions of people today that are living in fear of hell. There, are, there are, are untold numbers of people that have given up on the Christian faith because they don't think they can ever be, be good enough, and they have resigned themselves to the fact that they will be eternally separated from the Father. And let me just say it again. It doesn't take a lot of research. It doesn't take a lot of Google. If you want to just begin to look at it yourself and research it for yourself, this eternal conscious torment myth falls like a house of cards when other areas begin to come and we get light on them, we couldn't, look, we couldn't expand our understanding. We couldn't uh, expand revelation. For, for example, for example, grace without law tells us that wherever sin reigns, we're told that that sin that reigns in our life would send us to hell. But yet we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, we, couldn't, we could never explore that idea of grace outbounding or outdoing or super exceeding sin because we had this doctrine, this idea that sin would separate us from God and send us to hell. For, for, for example, the Father's mercy endures forever. I, I'm just thinking in my mind right now, and I haven't researched it, so don't hold me to this, but I believe there are more references in the scripture of God's mercy enduring forever than there are references of a mis mistranslated word of hell. But we couldn't explore mercy that endures forever because we thought everything stopped at life. And at that point of life, you were going one of two places. 
Either he was going to receive you, reject you, and eternally separate you, or eternally accept you. So we couldn't understand the idea of a mercy that endures forever or even entertain the possibility that post-mortem, the mercy of God does not stop and that the mercy of God will still be extended and put place forward. The scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We looked at that in light through the lens that, yes, one day God's going to have a whip and he's going he's to make you bow and he's going to make you confess and he's going to say, see, I told you all along you were wrong and I was right. That's not, that doesn't bring glory to God, which that verse says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God. God doesn't get glory from a forced confession of any kind. In fact, most, if the free will people say God never forces you to do anything, and yet they turn right around and say God will one day force you to confess. That verse tells us this thing of eternal conscious torment that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at some point in the future. When the light comes on strong enough, when the revelation dial is turned enough, and, the, and love burns strong enough and gets rid of all the things that have blinded us, that knee will bow and that tongue will confess. Right? The scripture that says that he placed us in Christ, in sonship, before the foundation of the world. We could never explore that scripture or that truth. You never, you never ever heard these, these things I'm telling you right here taught in church because it was so in opposition to the doctrine of false, hideous, heretical idea that God was a God of eternal conscious torment. How ridiculous. When I, the further I get from it, the more crazy it seems. How about love never fails? If love fails for one person, if one person ends outside the love of God eternally, then love has failed. We couldn't explore that. We couldn't think about it. How about 1 Corinthians 15, 22, where it says, all died in Adam, even so shall all be made alive in Christ. Never heard that verse taught on. I guarantee you never heard it taught on because it tells us that all would be made alive in Christ. No one could expand on these freedom-setting truths because of the lens of hell that we looked through and held over our head. And I'm telling you something, this doctrine has got to go and it's starting to go all over the earth. But this year, you're going to hear it being taught from a lot of different places that you never heard it taught before. People are questioning. People are questioning. And you're on the front end, end of this. And this year, he's going to, if there's any roots of it, and I still deal with people that that text me and say, I, you know, I, I, I think what you're saying is the truth. I just can't believe it. It's so deeply ground into us that even when we see the truth, we believe a lie even though the truth sounds better. Isn't that amazing? But this year it's going to change. I think, I think a lot more teaching on this is going to come from all over the world. People are awakening. See, this, this is a doctrine that when you awaken to the things that I just mentioned, like his mercy endures forever, or all made alive in Christ that were dead in Adam, when people awaken to this, then they begin to question, well, if his love never fails, if he's unconditional love, if there's no conditions to his love, then how can anybody ever be separate? How could, how could we ever think that somebody's going to be held in fire? In fire, not just five seconds. I mean, you touch a hot stove, but forever twisting and burning in anguish. Hell will be swallowed up in truth and it will start to root deep this year in the lives of people. And it's going to root in you. If some of you are watching me this morning on the Digital Cathedral and you still have this thing of hell brewing, go over to Amazon and break down and treat yourself to, what is it, $9 or whatever the book is. It's underpriced. And Hell's Illusion. Go to Amazon, get Hell's Illusion and read it. And just look at the historical uh, evidence and what, how it wove its way into the church. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's coming out. And that's one, one area there's going to be a lot of revelation on, a lot of truth that comes on. All right, number 11. Number 11. The Father this year is going to, number 11, get us to trust the Father's process of maturing us. Trusting the process. Trusting the process. He has a process. He has a journey that he's taking us on, and we're going to learn to trust it. The scripture says, and let me, let me just read this for you over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Flip, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. The, King, the New King James says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Right? So death, death is not a loss. Death is a gain of the life of Christ. It's, do you know what death really is? 
death is a promotion to a higher consciousness. You're going to be more, when you, when you drop this physical, this physical flesh that draws down your spirit, always pulling against, when you're no longer held by this flesh, your level of understanding, your level of consciousness, your perception, your sensitivity is going to increase many fold because you don't have the senses to deal with. You'll be, you'll totally be living as spirit. There's no flesh pull. So the King James says, for me to live is Christ. That's great. But I want you to see the, the, the progression here, the process, but to die is gain. So from point forward, we're going to continually experience more life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to trust the process while you're still here because I have an inclination. I can't prove it from Scripture. But I have a feeling that when we go from this dimension to that dimension, from this level of consciousness to a higher consciousness, that you will pick up there in development where you leave off here. So there's a great advantage to kingdom development today. I have people that all the time say, well, you know, if there's no hell, then why serve God? I'll tell you why serve God. Because he's got you on a journey. He has you on a process. Now here's how the, the Passion Translation says it. My true life is the anointed one. And dying means gaining more of him. Now the word process is an interesting word. If you, if you look at the definition of process, it, it simply means a series of actions or steps to achieve an end product. L let me say that again. Process means a series of actions or steps to achieve an end product. Well, for a believer, what's the end product? What's, what, what's, what's, what's the end gain here? It's maturity. It's to fully reflect and to fully uh, uh, live. I guess that's the best way to say it. To fully reflect as a full-grown son, the fatherhood of God, as the first son did. That's what he's doing. He's bringing us to a place where heaven invades earth through our full reflection of the Father. And we're not going to have to wait to get, you know, to the next dimension to do it. That's why this process he has us in is to bring heaven into earth. All the things that are going on today, and man, this last year, haven't we come through a lot? I mean, there has been so many things that wanted to distract us. But actually, the table's being set for the manifestation of the sons and a, and a, and a rise of the kingdom. I I mean, how many years did we go and say the kingdoms of this world are going to fall and crumble? And we've, we're witnessing it. And as they fall and crumble, don't you see that that's fertile ground for the kingdom of God to arise? And as sons and daughters, he's putting within you. And that's why I'm doing this, this coming, that's why I've done this coming attractions message. He's working in you these 12 things in your heart so that you can produce more and your light shines brighter and more will see. This year, the Father's going to help us. He's going to help you to lean into him and trust him, fully trust him. We just read there's no dualism in him, that everything works together for good. What might look like it's not good will be good. Get, get the dualism out. Don't see him as a dualistic father that he's, he's, he's love and anger. He's mercy and justice. That, those, those are not how the father operates. The father, the tree of life is only one. It's good. It's life. It's positive. It's light. It's not bad. It's not evil. There's nothing out of him that can come that is not love. It, it's impossible. So this year, he's going he's gonna to help us to lean into him and trust the steps that he takes and the actions coming out of his wisdom and love and us not to resist it. That's the hardest part. When things come that would appear by the tree of the knowledge and good and evil to be negative, we resist it. We don't want to be injured. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want a setback. And so we resist, we resist the very thing that the Father is trying to use to mature us. You remember what Paul told the Galatian church? He said, Galatians, he said, I'm travailing again in birth until Christ is fully formed within you. That's process. The full formation of the Christ. See, the seed is there. The incorruptible seed is there. Now it's starting to sprout. It's starting to grow. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. 30-fold, you don't want to settle there. People settle. They settle because they don't allow the things I'm teaching you about 
to manifest, to mature, to grow, to be more productive. Don't stop at 30-fold, 60-fold. Come on, man. We can press in beyond where we're at currently. So trust. Trust the process. Trust means you let go. You let go. You take your hands off. What's that, that country western song? Uh, I forget the young lady's name that popularized it, but it's Jesus take the wheel. You, you and Jesus can't have, both put your hands on the wheel. There's no car that can have two drivers put the hands on the wheel and drive safely. So there comes a point in trusting the process is where you say, Jesus, take the wheel. I, I let go. I let go. I let go of these things. See, when you let go, you, st you stop having the pressure to make it work the way that you think it should work. And you begin to trust him. And understand, this is developed in stages and steps. That's why I said it's a journey. You come through having everything taken, verses 19 to 22 of that 13th chapter of Matthew that we read this morning, when the seed, when the word comes into our hearts, at first we don't think about it and it, it just is ripped from us. And then we get it in us, but as soon then what happens is something pushes against it. We read about healing and we get sicker than a dog and we go, I guess this doesn't work, it's not for me, or I don't have enough faith and it's taken from us. Or we get pulled off in a lot of directions, the distractions of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares, all that stuff. And a lot of us have fallen for that this last year. We've gotten so wound up in politics and other areas that it has slowed the production. I think that's why he's had me coming into the start of this year talk about these 12 things that he's, he's bringing to a deeper level. So it, it comes by stages and steps. Now, if you got pulled off last year into a bunch of junk, you have to recognize and you get back on course and let him continue to mature the steps. So you're going to have opportunities this year. I, I'll guarantee you, you're going to have opportunities to take your hands off the wheel, to let go, to trust him. Things that you previously tried to control and manipulate to your benefit. He's going to say, just let it go. Let me handle this for you. Let me fight the fight for you. Let me fight the battle for you. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Listen to me. Here's what I'm submitting to you. Let's move forward in the process by just trusting, by just trusting and leaving the results to him. Is that too much to ask this year? He's, he's, he's bringing this into us where we trust the process of maturing. Take your hands off. Trust him. Being confident. Can we build our confidence in the one who began a good work in us to take it far enough and deep enough to complete it? Is the one who started it big enough to complete it? All right, number 12. Last one, number 12. This is big. Sons are gonna be called to take responsibility. To take responsibility. There is a growing awareness that truly we are stewards of the earth. And it's time that we took responsibility for what goes on in the earth, the manifested sons of God. See, we've looked at God, we've looked at the Father, and people all the time are saying, well, you know, if, if God's in control, why is he allowing this? If God's in control, why is this going on? This injustice. And I think God stands back and folds his arms and says, I'm mystified myself why this is going on in the earth when I have given you the responsibility and the authority of the earth. Sons of God never taken responsibility. We've scapegoated. We've scapegoated the problems on the devil. We've scapegoated the problems on other people or circumstances or where we were born. We have not taken responsibility. But there's a growing awareness that truly we are stewards of the earth the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Libertarians are not in charge of the earth. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all that inhabit it. See, the, the Father created the earth, but man created the world. The systems, the perversions, the problems, they are man created. They are not God created. So the man that created them has got to be the man that takes responsibility for them and begins to unwind them. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But the worser, that's not good English, but the worser it gets, the better it gets for us. We have responsibility. I'm going to read out of the NLT. I'm going to vary off the passion for just this one scripture because it says it so well. And it's in Psalm chapter 8. 
verses 4 to 8. Now listen to this. I want, you to, I want you to see two things here in this passage. I want you to see... I want you to see responsibility, but I also want you to see authority, all right? Authority and responsibility. Verse 4, it says, What are mortals that you should think about them? What are mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them a little lower than God. Now, here's one of those areas. If you have a King James, New King James, it says angels. That is such a bad translation. I don't get... Get any concordance you want, and the word angel is the word Elohim, which is another name for God. And the NLT, the NLT got it right. It says, you made them a little lower than God, a little lower than Elohim, and crowned them with glory and honor. Now watch, watch verse 6. These that you create just a little lower than God, you gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. All things under their authority. You have authority this morning. The flocks and herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims under the ocean currents. Now here's what I want you to see. See, we've asked God to do what he's already asked us to do. <laughs> We're asked, we've had, Every prayer meeting you've gone to, this is why prayer meetings are dead, most of them. We've asked God to do what he has given us the authority to do. And you're going to see responsibility and authority go together. If you have God-ordained authority, then you have God-ordained responsibility. Wherever God gives responsibility, he gives authority to achieve what authority says that you have. But we just read this morning that he gave us responsibility and authority over everything he created so here we are on the earth and we're praying god come do this we're, we're all every prayer meeting you've been to is asking a greater power to come defeat a lesser power because we don't think we're able to do it yet we turn right around and talk about the authority of the believer you see we this needs to go deeper we got to come to a place where we say, you know what, we have responsibility. This, this, this thing going on over here, this is, this is a place where the kingdom of God needs to arise within the sons. But we're not going to rise to the level of taking that authority and responsibility until this stuff begins to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. And the more it produces, the more authority and responsibility we'll see that it actually is taking place. See, the Father never gives you responsibility where he doesn't give you the corresponding authority. If you have responsibility but no authority, it creates great frustration. If you've ever had a job, you worked for, for maybe a small business, the owner of the company, and he gave you a lot of responsibility, but he kept all the authority to himself, you became very frustrated because you had all the responsibility, yet you couldn't make the decisions. You did not have the authority that went with the responsibility. So when things didn't work out, the boss would get angry with you because you didn't produce, and yet he kept the decision-making ability. He kept the authority, refused to give you the authority, yet put the responsibility on your back. You know how frustrating that can be, right? That's, that's wherever the, the Father doesn't work that way. And I think this, this passage from, from Psalm chapter 8 is a good proof text that he says, I made you a little lower than myself. So that, that's the responsibility of the authority. And he said, I gave you authority over everything that I've created, everything in the earth. I, I, I place it in your hands. Now, you take care of it. You, you do what you need to do. Father does not set us up for failure. The Father sets us up for success. The Father doesn't set us up for failure by giving us responsibility but no authority. All right, let, let's look at a verse here back in our, our Passion Translation over in, in, uh, in Romans. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as a king over humanity. Now that's a failure. That's a setup for failure there. The first man set us up for failure, all humanity. Death once held, now see, death doesn't, he's not talking about physical death necessarily. 
He's talking about a, a disconnect from the Zoe, from the life of God. That's where the victory is. That's where the 30, 60, 100 fold comes from, is the life of God, that incorruptible seed that was planted in every man. And Adam totally neglected it. He missed the mark, right? But, right? So death reigned as king over humanity. But, now whenever you hit a, a but in scripture, I guarantee it's a big but. It's a big but. You need, you need to pay real close attention when the scripture uses the word but. All right, so this is the way it was. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continued reigning as kings? That's the position. That's what we're called to be. That's the place of responsibility and authority in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah. So the first, the first part of that verse, ver 17a, is a verse that's set up for failure. But the rest of the verse tells us our purpose is to reign in life right now. I'm talking about this present world. We are to reign in life, it says, through the one Jesus Christ. That's who we reign through. So <clears throat> there's an awakening to the sons of God that, look, I don't like what's going on in the world, but I have a responsibility to change it. How do I change it? I change it in me first. I have, I've got to let this stuff get in me where it begins to produce. Produces in me, you know what? It attracts is another one and another one. And those two attract form. It doesn't take long for this multiplication to have a profound effect upon our culture. The shift is not coming. The shift is here. You're undergoing the movement of the shift right now. You really are. So this is a shift where we take our authority and we no longer beg and plead for God to come do something that he said, I had given you the ability and the responsibility and the authority to do. This year is going to begin to dawn in us. Simple little scriptures like we've heard all of our life. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That gives you the, the go-ahead. That gives you the, the green card to go ahead and exercise your responsibility and authority. The greater one is not in the world. The greater one is within you, right? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it begins just in small things. See, it begins in taking responsibility for our own life, living out of the kingdom for our own life. And maybe that's as far as this generation will take it. But we've laid that down and we've planted that within our sons and daughters, our natural sons and daughters and our grandchildren so that they can now pick it up and move it forward. This might be a generational thing. I'm not telling you we're going to complete it. I'm telling you that we're going to begin to take the responsibility. And this year, the Father's taking us down a level in our understanding and how to do it, how it actually manifests. So let me, let me say this morning. We've looked at 12 things, 12 powerful things. Way back at number one, remember number one was hearing the voice of the Father more clearly this year? I've had a lot of reaction to that, and people said, man, this is, this is, this is right where I'm at. I'm hearing better, I'm beginning to see better, I'm, I'm beginning to move into spirit out of natural. He's gonna to continue to work that in you, right? All the way through all of these 12, this is what prepares the soil. This is what prepares the heart as the seed is dropped into it. And that seed is the word that he speaks to you. It's, it's, it's not just the written word. It can come through this. But it's the word that he speaks directly into your heart, into your life. The word that is just for you. Right? And as that grows, as that blossoms, as that matures, it begins to produce. Psalm chapter 1 says that you'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. How? By meditating in his word day and night, by, by, by acknowledging this, not being like the one who's, who has the word planted into his heart, but he, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't, he doesn't take time to grab it. He doesn't take time to consider it. And so it, it just flies away. It never works out for him. I think we're in for a great journey. We're in for a great journey this year. We should have a, a, a real level of excitement because look, look, everything, look how far we've come the last years. Some of us, 8, 10, 15, 20 years, we've been, we've been in this. We've been studying this. We've been hearing this. He has revealed many things. He has planted a lot of incorruptible seeds in us that revolve around the one incorruptible seed. And that has sprouted. It's put other seeds within us, right? I think these 12 
which, which, which are things we've heard about. I, I understand that. I understand that. But we're seeing it with new eyes. We're seeing it with new lens. It's dropping deeper. They're coming into focus. That's what I really wanted to say this entire little four-part four series that we're looking at. The things of God are coming into focus. We're starting to see them clearly. We're not looking through the glasses darkly as we did at one time. We're, we're getting a handle on this stuff. It's starting to become a tool that we can work with. You know, when, you, when you're just learning to work with a screwdriver or a wrench, it's very awkward. It, it's, it's hard to work with them. Boy, you, some men are very proficient at working with tools. These are tools that are becoming very proficient in our hands. We're coming in and through this maturity process. That passage in Galatians chapter 4, the first seven verses where it talks about a child heir. See, we're moving from child heir who, ha who has an inheritance. It's all his. It all belongs to him. But he doesn't have the ability yet to exercise or to tap in to that inheritance that belongs to him. The father's maturing him. But there comes a time, there comes a time when the father releases into that son's hands. So wherever you're at in this journey, whether you're a napios, which is the Greek word for infant, or a pation, which is a toddler to grow a little bit, or you're a technon, you're a teenager, or a weos, you're a fully mature son of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the weoses of God, mature sons. Wherever you're at in that process, he's moving you along. So let's trust it. Let's trust the process. And as we trust the process, and as we're shifting, as we're maturing, as we're being conformed to the image of the Christ that is within, let's rise up. And as he gives us opportunity, let's take responsibility knowing that he's given us the corresponding authority to do it. Amen? All right, I think that's enough for today. Now let me tell you about next Sunday. <clears throat> I've been asked a lot by, about prayer. That's been a topic that seems to be of interest with people. People have asked me, how do we pray in light of all that we're learning? How do we pray? Because, you know, I, I tell you all the time, we don't have to beg and plead God for what we already have. We don't have to try to become something we already are. So we're not praying to God for all that stuff we prayed for for years. So people are lost in how to pray. So I want to take two weeks because it's an important part of this unlimited lifestyle that we're developing. And I want to talk about prayer and how, how a son, how a son maturing prays and what should be the mindset of, a, of one today in light of all that we're seeing and understanding. How do we pray? I think you're going to find the next two really good. It's a good time to invite somebody to the Digital Cathedral. Hey, it's been good to be with you this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your financial gifts. I look forward to seeing you Wednesday. We'll talk about this a little bit more. There's some things I didn't bring out this morning that I'd like to hit again, so, and a little more. So see you Wednesday night on the Don Keithley Ministry page on Facebook. If you haven't joined, come on over and join. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. And make sure you make a, a comment down below because people read the comments and then they come on. If they like the comments, they like the title, they'll come look at it. Share it on your Facebook. Share it to the groups you're part of. I don't share it to other groups. I don't want to blow my own horn. But I don't mind if you're John the Baptist and you share it someplace. Anyway, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Next Sunday morning, 10 a.m.